is on our topic this morning, hospitality. A whole bunch of you might be thinking right now, what? <laughs> um, what? Like, why would we talk a whole week on hospitality? Um, isn't that a bit much? Like, apart from picking up a few new recipe ideas, what's, what's, what's church about this week for me? Some of you might even be thinking, you know, I spent all week working in hospitality. Last thing I want to do is come to church. I have to think about hospitality again. Um, if that's you, yeah, sure. Rosario Butterfield just then, she went, she went so far as to say that hospitality is the ground zero for the Christian faith. She has some good reasons to say that. In our angry, crazy, divided world, our dinner tables actually become weapons for the kingdom of God. Why? Because it is there where we can welcome others and connect with others on a human level. And so biblical hospitality is not to be confused with entertaining others. It's not the same thing. Um, But biblical hospitality has become urgent for us today because of where we live in the world and the times we are in. And so today our plan is to look at, firstly, what biblical hospitality is, the theological imperative as to why we must love others in this way, the the why question, why is this so important, and finally, the the cost of living this kind of life and loving others in this way. And so we're in Romans 12. So crack your Bibles open to Romans 12. Um, Let me read a couple of verses by way of kind of ramp up from verse 9. This is where we've been the last two or three weeks, and I'm I'm rereading this again because of the nature of these commands. They're short, they're bitey, they're, they're Paul on Twitter, right? He's just shooting out some stuff. Um, but they are, the last few weeks have been fruitful, I hope. Sitting in these things, letting, let, lingering in these commands. And so let's just recap where we've been. Firstly, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So that's our verse today. Again, me and Matt decided we're going to do a whole week on this one verse. Why? Because of its critical nature for the life of our church and sharing Jesus in our current world. So this verse has two parts. We're going to fly past the first part. We're going to to anchor in hospitality, the second part. Uh, But firstly, Paul does call us in this verse to meet the vital needs of Christians in the world. That's that's one of the commands on us. We are to care for the poor among us. Um, Just a few weeks ago, we heard from Dave Myers from Open Doors, and we spent a whole Sunday hearing about the persecuted church in the world and the imperative to serve them. And so if you missed that message, I highly encourage you to, to jump back to um, a couple of weeks ago where we had Dave Myers out from Open Doors and listen to that about how it is we can partner with organizations like that who serve those in, most, in the biggest need in the world. Um, today we're going to focus on the second half. Seek to show hospitality. 
In the Greek, it is, there is two significant words here that we're going to need to unpack just briefly. Um, the first word is the word that gets translated as hospitality. Now, the Bible wasn't written in English, so that is a translation of a Greek word. The Greek word is um, what, what my preppy Lucy would say. It's a chunky monkey word. Two words together. Chunky monkey word. Do you want to throw up that slide? It's got it, it's got it up there. Philozena. Philozena. Which means, philo, which means love. Zena, which means warrior princess. No. Um, <laughs> it's the first time I, I said it out loud and heard it. Um, the stranger. The, the stranger. Love. Stranger. Chunky monkey word. So biblical hospitality can be, can be summarized as love for the stranger. Love for the stranger. The welcoming of the stranger. So basically, I guess what we're saying here today is that that Sesame Street level wisdom of a stranger is just a friend you haven't met is basically what the Bible is telling us to do. Right? That's basically the biblical ethic of hospitality. So what we're not talking about today, just to make it super clear again, we're not talking about entertaining your friends, impressing your friends with a, an elaborate dinner or something like that. That's not what we're talking about. I love um, Rosaria's definition of hospitality. It's making strangers neighbors and making neighbors the family of God. Making strangers neighbors and making neighbors the family of God. Hospitality is the welcoming in of one another. The welcoming in of one another into our lives, into our homes, into our hearts. It's the welcoming in of the stranger into our lives. The second word here that we need to um, see is the word dioko. Dioko, which means seek, pursue, it's even persecute. Seek after earnestly. So in the same way a, a law enforcement officer is to persecute a criminal, right? we are to earnestly seek after to show hospitality to others. And so the emphasis here is on the intentionality. We're not just to be open to it, like we're open to the idea of it. We are to seek it out. We are to earnestly show it. We are to make it a priority to invite others into our hearts, into our lives, into our homes. So this call to hospitality is not just found in Romans 12. This isn't the only place we kind of build a whole theology of hospitality on. This is actually everywhere in the Bible once you open up your eyes to see it. Hospitality is one of the qualifications for elders, for pastors. So there are, there are people who are disqualified from the role of pastor-elder if they do not show hospitality in this way to strangers. Disqualified. So the Lord holds this as a value in the church. Elsewhere we find this command in 1 Peter 4, verse 9. Uh, I'll go from verse 8 because verse 8 is great. Above all, he says, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Amen to that. Show hospitality to one another. Really important. Without grumbling. Thank you, Peter. He gets us. <laughs> He's realistic. He knows that then when there's something we don't want to do, there's just something in us that can't help but grumble. And Paul say, uh, Peter here says, show hospitality. Don't do it with grumbling. Hebrews 13, verse 1 and 2. This one's strange. Let brotherly love continue, he says, verse 1. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained, oh, there's the word entertained, whoops, um, 
have showed, I don't know what the Greek word is there. Um, some have entertained angels unawares. I don't know what to do with that, I'm sorry. Um, that's very interesting. He's referring to uh, occasions in both Genesis and Judges where this happens in the story, and it's an angel in disguise. I have lots of questions, so do you. We're not going to focus on that. We're going to keep moving. <laughs> but look, if we're, Bible just said, if we're, if, if we're going to invite strangers in, there are going to be occasions where we're actually entertaining angels. I, again, just that's just something that Paul, Paul uses that as an incentive for why, why we should welcome strangers. The idea of hospitality in the first century Roman Empire to 21st century Australia, they're miles apart. So we've got to do a little bit of work of what are, what are they talking about in, in their context, and then how can we live this out in, in, in our context. Um, in this time, hospitality was a massive thing. Just imagine with me, you lived in the first century Roman Empire. Uh, let's pick a city at random. Let's say you lived in Nazareth, okay? And let's just say you live in Nazareth, and uh, there's this guy on the throne, Caesar Augustus. He's the guy that named a whole month after him and threw out the calendar. As in, I don't know if you've ever noticed that October, meaning eight, is now the 10th month. It's this guy's fault. He named August after himself. The guy before him, uh, you know, Julius Caesar, named July after himself. And now we've got a ruined calendar. Thanks, guys. Anyway, so this guy, he's on the throne. This doesn't matter. Um, it's, every time I think of him, I get angry. That's all. <laughs> Julius Caesar and Augustus, they ruined everything. Um, December deck? It's meant to be 10. It's the 12th one. Anyway. Um, Julius, uh, Julius Augustus, he's on the throne. Caesar Augustus is on the throne. And this guy, he has the audacity to, to call a census and says everyone in, the, in his whole empire has to go back to their, their hometown and, and register themselves. And so you live in Nazareth, but your hometown is Bethlehem. Let's, let's just say randomly. Um, we're just making this up. This, this could never happen. Um, <laughs> Nazareth to Bethlehem, that's 150 kilometer. Let's throw an extra complication. You're really, really pregnant. And no one, <laughs> and there's, there's, there's a mystery behind that whole situation. We're not going to go into that either. But let's just imagine you've got a 150 kilometer walk to go. You're really pregnant. And to make matters worse, it's Christmas time. OK, this is the Christmas story. I think if you haven't, if you haven't figured out that yet. And you've got to make this journey. You're really pregnant. There's no, there's no drive-through Guzman. There's no Coles and Woolies where you can get like a, a you know, cheap lunch or something, roast chook. There's no hotels as we understand them, right, with the, uh, with the concierge and the, the breath mints and the bell you ding, right? There's, there's none of that. The inns that did exist were sketchy and not safe and apparently all booked out as well in Bethlehem at Christmas time. So if you find yourself in this position where you have to make a journey of any kind of length, you can't carry all your food, and where are you going to sleep? You are actually, you're, you're at the mercy of the hospitality of, of strangers, aren't you, on your travel? And so this is why in this context, the call to hospitality was so vital. Paul, who's writing Romans, he, he lived his life on the road, which means he lived his life re relying on the hospitality of Strangers. Now, we don't have that same kind of first century context. No, I understand that. But we are still called to this same love of strangers. 
love of our neighbours. And I want to take you now to Romans 15.7 to see, to answer the question, why? Why is this such an important thing for us? What is the theological imperative driving this kind of way of life that we would welcome in the stranger? This verse is incredibly important for us. When we get here in Romans, we've already done it now, but it's important. Here's what it says. The word hospitality doesn't appear itself, but what appears is even more fundamental. Paul says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Think about what this is saying for a moment. Think about what this is not saying. Maybe is another way to do, it, to do it. He doesn't say, say hello to one another in the foyer, as Christ has said hello to you in the foyer. Right? doesn't say, give each other a high five, as Christ has given you a high five. Ask one another about how your week was, as Christ asked you about how your week was. Right? Do you see how we're going to... That's not the gospel, is it? That's not the gospel. This, in fact, to talk that way, it makes a mockery of what Christ has done for us. He hasn't high-fived us in the foyer, has he? It's, a dis, it's, it's dishonoring Jesus to talk about him in that way. He does not hold us at arm's length. He welcomes us in, not just superficially. He welcomes us in genuinely into his very presence, into his very reality. And he does so. This welcome of Jesus is at great cost to himself. We are welcomed in, in through the blood of Jesus. Friends, God has welcomed you today through Jesus. You are welcome in the presence of God through Jesus. This is the gospel of grace, and this is what is on the table for all of us, whether for the first time or for the 10 millionth time. Friend, right now, God is welcoming you. So receive the welcome of Jesus. For the first time or for the 10,000th time, he is inviting you into a whole new reality with him. He calls us to abide with him. He calls us to be grafted into him, to be buried into his heart forever. He does not hold us at arm's length. He does not treat us impersonally. Colossians 3, uh, 3 tells us that your life, your very life is hidden with Christ and God. It's wrapped up in his life forever, bound to him and joined to him. We, we learn in the New Testament that the Spirit is sent to dwell within us so that he can live within us forever. The very presence of God in us. We, guys, this is, this is deeply relational, deeply personal. It is not distant or polite so when we read this verse again, hear what it's saying to us. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. As Christ has welcomed you in for the glory of God. The first thing we must hear here is the invitation of Christ to come, to be with him, to be his, to be joined to him. Have you received the welcome of Jesus before? Have you received the welcome of Jesus? Maybe today's the day 
that you would. I pray that that would be you. Receive the welcome of Jesus. But the second thing we need to see in this verse is what? This is the way. This is the bar. This is the, the method that we, this is the way, the, the, the thing that energizes our moving towards others. We are to move towards others in this way. Deeply relational, generous, personal, sacrificial, sincere. We talked about this two weeks ago. Let love be genuine. Brotherly affection. Friends, this is how Jesus has loved us. So this is how we must love others. It's just that the math is that simple. He has welcomed us in, in this way. And so we must welcome others in this way. Martin Luther has a, a famous quote. He says, he said, he said that every person needs three conversions. What he means by this is what he meant is this. He said, man needs to be convinced in his mind, he needs to be converted up here. He needs to believe in his heart. So sometimes people you can understand the gospel and yet there's still this heart level, I just don't, I haven't owned it. I'm still rejecting it for me. I believe it for you, but I haven't received it in my heart yet. But he says there's a third conversion we need. Our wallets. It's when our budget starts to reflect the priorities of Jesus that we know that we've actually begun to live out Christianity in its, in its fullness. Right? That when, when his priorities start affecting our budget instead of our own selfish goals, that's how we know we're actually following Jesus. Three conversions, head, heart, and wallet. I think today we should add a fourth. I think we need a fourth conversion after that. We need to be converted in our heads, our hearts, our wallets, and our homes. Some of us would probably rather pay a missionary than talk to our neighbors. Part with money to go send someone somewhere else, but unwilling to actually invite our neighbors into our house. We need a fourth conversion. Compared to other times in history, I think, and other cultures around the world right now, us Australians, we're a closed people. We've got, we've got closed front doors. We've got high fences and automatic garages that go down after we drive in, so we never have to even learn our neighbors' names. If you live next to that person who lives their life that way, it is very hard to meet them because just, you just never get to see them hop out of the car, walk to their house. They're just always straight in, straight out. And how do, you, how do you meet that guy? That is a tragedy. And as Christians, we must not be the same. We must live different to this. Your home is not off limits to God. Your home is not off limits to God. And so, yes, look, there, there is absolutely a change we need to make. There's a, there's a, a cost we need to bear here. It, it costs us to love others in this way. It's easier to have my space be my little kingdom. <coughs> no, he calls us to love like he loves which means our hospitality must not be transactional because the love of Christ is not transactional. Our, our hospitality must not be restricted in whom is welcomed in, but without restriction because the love of Christ is without restriction to whom he welcomes in. And so let me just be the first to say what all the introverts in the room are thinking and all the extroverts are probably still thinking as well. 
Look, living this out is not easy. This is not an easy call. This is actually incredibly hard. I've heard hospitality being, being called um, the art of making people feel at home even when you wish they were. <laughs> I resonate with that. <laughs> if you haven't figured it out, just keep thinking about it. The art of making people feel at home even when you wish that that's where they were, right? At their house, not at my house. <laughs> just in case you didn't get it. So, look, this is hard. There is a cost. We have to, there are some things that we have to sacrifice here. And so I've just got, just to kind of guide the rest of our time, I've got three encouragements and two practical challenges, which is another way of saying I've got five points. But we're going to go with three encouragements, two practical challenges. Firstly, number one, do not confuse hospitality with entertaining. This is the one that I think us Westerners need to just, and some of you perfectionists in particular, need to think through. The way you know you've missed biblical hospitality, just like you've missed it entirely, is that you do it less frequently and more extravagantly. That, that's a red flag that you're, you're missing what we're talking about. That's something else. That's entertaining, right? Feel free to do that. That's something else. If, you're, if, if this is you, then the mistake you're making is it's on the emphasis is on making people feel impressed with you. Uh, the focus is on, on the quality of the food, not on the quality of the conversation. See the difference there? So for Larissa and I, this is just how, how this looks like. Um, the situation changed when we had kids. And so if you're a young family, this might resonate with you. We found it way too hard to do hospitality and with little kids until we significantly lowered the bar in our minds of what we could reasonably manage. Yeah? I think that's a good thing. That might irk you, but that's okay. like that's how, how can you practice hospitality physically if you just physically can't? If you can't physically can't do it, then that makes then you can't. You're failing to love others. And so, if my primary objective is to impress you when you come to my house, then of course I'm going to need to hold on to those standards real tight because they're really important. But if my primary objective is to have you into my house, where we can build relationship over food, then there might be some things that we let go. Right? The quality of the food might come down. Uh, the house will be less tidy. I think that's okay. We'll do our best. <laughs> but we're all just doing our best, right? So don't fall into the, into the trap of setting an unattainable bar, which means you never love others in the way you've been called to love others because of your own kind of self-imposed standards. Drop them. So you perfectionists in the room, I know there's some. Let it go. <laughs> The house does not need to be perfectly clean. The food does not need to be restaurant quality. And if it does, consider that a big red flag. A big red flag. Hospitality is ordinary life. Welcoming others into your ordinary life. Feel free to do the big dinner party thing once in every while. Sure, go for it. I'm not saying those are wrong. I'm saying if you don't ever have ordinary people for an ordinary lunch in your house because it needs to be a five-star restaurant, you've missed what this is talking about. And so just maybe my final word on this is don't fail to love people because of your own pride. Don't fail to love people because of your own pride. 
Let it go. It's okay. It's about relationship, not about the rest of it. So again, maybe, maybe just before we jump into the next one, can we just say at this church, can we just like expect a little bit less of one another when it comes to that so that we can actually practice this and not kind of expect each other to be putting on a show for, for, for each other? Let's just let's try to be real. Let's love each other with genuine love and genuine affection and seek to serve each other in this way. Number one. Number two. Welcome everyone. 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 Especially the stranger. Especially those that are different from you. Especially those whose lives look radically different from your life. Welcome everyone. Having your mates over is awesome. Please keep doing that. But that's not what we're talking about when we talk about hospitality in this way. Let me read from Luke 5. This is uh, Jesus. Luke 5 and verse 27 says this. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house. He didn't get the memo about simple food. That's right. Um, He made a great feast, right? He went all out. Jesus is coming to his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him, with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In this scenario, Jesus is not the one doing the the hosting, but he's participating. And around the table that Jesus is sitting at is a whole host of undesirables. We'll just call them. To the degree that the religious crew that are watching on are scandalized by who Jesus is sitting down at a table with. Scandalized by it. I wonder what we would think if we were there, if we think about some of the undesirables in our world today, and if we saw Jesus eating with them, what our first reaction would be. Jesus is teaching us a thing or two here about the power of the table. Jesus would eat with sinners, but he did not sin with sinners. He entered into friendship with sinners without approving of everything in their lives. Can we recover that category, please? Christian, be friends with sinners. Don't sin with sinners, but be friends with sinners. Welcome them into your lives and into your homes. Do not be afraid to make friends with people who are radically outside of your little... people that look like you. I think, I think maybe the obvious kind of group in our world today where this maybe applies most sharply is the LGBTQ community, right? The world says we're supposed to be enemies. Jesus says we are neighbors. And so let's treat them like neighbors. Let's love them like Jesus loved them. Can we recover that category of being friends with sinners, seeking to love them with the gospel? I love that it took Rosario Butterfield two years of dinners with the pastors (laughs) before she stepped into a church. Some people are going to take some time. 
It's going to happen around a dinner table. So second thing, welcome in everyone without exception. Thirdly, this is going to take courage for all of us. It's going to take courage. To say the obvious, if God is calling us to the love of the strangers, we are going to need to talk to strangers. Obvious, right? We need to actually talk to them. For some of us, I know that will be very hard. I'm not saying that to be condescending. Some, like for, the, for you introverts, with, with big introverted personalities, this is, this, is, this is hard. So I just want to acknowledge this is hard. This is, this is actually going to take us some courage. And, and if you're one of those big introverted personalities, you'll feel this more than most. But here's what I do know. You can trust God to provide for you as you step out of your comfort zone. You can trust God to provide for you as you step out in faith to love others in this way. Uh, this is Rosario Butterfield's advice for the introverts because she claims to be one. don't know how, but she does. She says this. We introverts miss out on a, huge ble- on a great blessing when we excuse ourselves from practicing hospitality because it exhausts us. I often find people exhausting, but over the years I have learned how to pace myself, how to prepare for private time necessary to recharge, and how to grow in discomfort. Knowing your personality and your sensitivities does not excuse you from ministry. It means that you might need to prepare differently than others might. I love what she said there. I have grown in discomfort. Lord Jesus, would you grow us all in discomfort for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the lost? So those are my three encouragements. Not entertaining. It's different. Welcome, everyone. And yes, it will take courage. Practical challenge. Practical challenge today. When was the last time you had someone new in your house that you didn't know? For a meal, morning tea, afternoon tea, something. When was the last time you had someone into your house that you hadn't met before? And if the answer is, it's been too long, which I suspect it is for, for many of us, right? Your practical challenge is, in the next two weeks, invite someone into your house. Two weeks is arbitrary. Fix it to, to work with your life. But let's not fail to welcome others into our worlds. As a church family... We have plenty of opportunities to invite people we don't know yet at the church into our lives. I think, it, I think it starts here. I think we get to practice on each other, making relationship with one another. Um, I, yeah, great way to do this is honestly it's after, after church, doing lunch after church. It's a great way to do it. So I encourage you to consider how it is you might be able to invite someone new into your house. It's practical challenge number two. Have you met your neighbors? Do you know their names? Do you know their birthdays? Do you know their kids' names? Do you know their favorite sport? Have you you met your neighbors and built any kind of relationship with them? If not, meet your neighbors, right? I love what Rosaria said before, God never gets the address wrong. If we believe in the sovereignty and providence of God, then your neighbors are there because God put them there. So let's meet our neighbors. <laughs> My guess is, if you don't know their names by now, 
there's nowhere to meet them without it being awkward. Let's embrace that awkward. Let's not let awkward be the bridge too far for us to share about Jesus. So, have someone new in your house, meet your neighbours, bonus points, combine those two. Have your neighbours into your house. Um, they will, yeah, bonus points, whatever that means. Okay, so, look, this, this is our calling. This is our calling, to love people in our house, with our house, in our world. We extend that same welcome that we've received from Christ to others for the glory of Jesus, for the glory of God. We seek to make neighbours, uh, strangers' neighbours, and neighbours the family of God. Why? How? By putting our homes to work. By putting our homes to work. I think more and more evangelism moving forwards in our culture is going to look like this. It's going to look like ordinary people doing hospitality regularly. Just the humdrum ordinary hospitality, the body of Christ together, having people into our homes, sharing life, I think things like Alpha will always have a place, but there's always going to be people who would just never walk into an Alpha. She took two years. God loves those kind of people. So let's love them too. Let's put our dinner tables to work for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the way you have welcomed us into your family, into your kingdom, into your very heart. And Jesus, we want to take part in that invitation, Lord. We don't just want to imitate you, Lord. We want to join with you in extending your welcome to the world. And so, Lord, give us courage to love others in this way. Help us to put down our own personal preferences around um, doing things a certain way, Lord, but help us just to yeah, not put up barriers that you don't put up, Lord. Help us repent here where we have been slothful and zeal for the sake of your kingdom. I pray that this community here would grow as a community of welcomers, a community of hospitable Christians. Lord, would you bring people to faith through our dinner tables? Give us courage, I pray, Lord. Give us boldness. Give us wisdom in those moments to speak as we ought to speak. For those of us that know that this is, for those of us whom this feels so hard, so difficult, maybe because of our circumstances or just the way we're wired, Lord. Yeah, let's pray for Pray for those people here for whom this, this weighs on really heavy. Lord, you give them faith to trust you with their lives as they follow you. And would you provide for their every need. 
pray all these things in the name of our Savior Jesus, who has welcomed us in. The glory of God. Amen.